Hi, and thanks for listening to another audio podcast from Creekside Community Church, Narangba, Queensland. For more information and resources, please visit our website at www.creekside.org.au. I think there's a few groups of people in the room this morning that are celebrating and some that are mourning. And I'm not talking about, although I will mention it, a game on Wednesday night. I'm talking about totally different groups of people. I'm talking about the group of people that are students in the room who are mourning the fact that school holidays is coming to an end. And next week, or this week really, um, so many of you will be back at school. The other group of people that are in the room this morning that are celebrating are all of the mums in the room that are thrilled that school holidays are coming to an end and their kids are going back to school and a little bit more normalcy will take place in your homes perhaps. And then of course there is a group of people that are mourning a game on Wednesday night. And I think most of the people in the room probably are in mourning, which the fact that you're in church this morning is good for you because it's a great place to mourn. And then I noticed a few people, in fact, a whole row of people that came in very celebratory outfits this morning from New South Wales. Yeah, some Blues supporters in the room. Yeah, we can go ahead and give the Blues a round of applause. I think it's a sort of friendly rivalry. Right? Sort of friendly? No, it's not a friendly rivalry at all. Let's be honest. Hey, uh, we are in part two of a series that we're calling Come and See. And if you missed last week, um, you can catch up online um, by listening to the podcast if you'd like to so that you get the first part of the, the series that we're in. But what you can't catch up on is the hot chips experience that we all experienced. Those that were here last week, you'll know what I'm talking about. If you weren't here last week, You can't catch up on that part of the experience, but you can at least uh, listen to the podcast that uh, we talked about last week. For those of you in the room that maybe have had this experience that I'm about to share with you, this, I think some of you will be able to kind of relate to something that happened to me about 10 years ago. I came home on a Friday afternoon and my wife said to me, tomorrow, I've got these two girlfriends of mine who I knew, them and their husbands and their family, Um, they're coming over for the afternoon and we're going to have a barbecue and we're going to have dinner together and they've got an opportunity that they'd like to tell you about. And I was like, okay, that sounds interesting. And so the next day, these two families came over and and they, um, you know, we were chatting about life and then we had a barbecue and we ate dinner together. And then all of a sudden the conversation changed and we started talking about this opportunity that they had for us. What I quickly learned and realized is they were telling us about a network marketing opportunity. Anybody ever had an experience like that? Raise your hand where you've been conned into having breakfast with someone or somebody said like, oh, just come over for for lunch or just come over for dinner. And then all of a sudden dinner turned into like this conversation about buying a bunch of products that will just sit in your pantry that you're supposed to then con other people into buying. Every Yeah, a few people nodding their heads. You've had that type of experience. Unfortunately, I have a background in marketing and sales, so immediately as they started telling the story or telling the opportunity, I was like, hey, here's the deal. I'm just going to cut this conversation short for you because they were talking about how that eventually when you get up to these certain levels in the organization, you actually get a white Mercedes Benz. And some of you are like, oh, I know the company you're talking about because I've heard that story. So I said to these two guys whose wives had, by the way, conned them into getting into this program. I said to these two guys, the day your wife comes home, 
with a white Mercedes-Benz is the day that my wife and I will sign up. <laughs> 10 years later, they're still driving a piece of junk and they don't have a white Mercedes-Benz in their driveway and I still have not signed up. Now, some of you that came last week, you might be thinking, as we started this series, that it was almost like we were explaining Jesus's network marketing theory for Christianity. Because we talked about this question last week. We talked about this question of how did Christianity get so big? In fact, there are 2.2 billion people on this planet today, statistically speaking, that would claim to be followers of Jesus. And it has just grown from, as we saw last week, just two guys that started following Jesus to now 2.2 billion people. And so it'd be very easy for someone to come into church last Sunday, whether you've been following Jesus your whole life or maybe it was the first time you'd ever been to church in your life, for you to walk out and think to yourself, this invest and invite thing that we talked about last week, that sounds a lot like Jesus' network marketing scheme to get the whole world to start following Jesus. But here's what we discovered last week. We discovered that all of us in the room, in some way, shape, or form, have all ended up here in the room because someone invited us. Doesn't matter whether you saw the sign and you were driving by, the reality is somebody one day designed the sign, they paid some money to put it on the side of the building because they intended for that sign to be an invitation for people driving by to actually come and check out the church. But I think it's easy for you to maybe walk away last Sunday and perhaps even today to walk away thinking to yourself, so is this just like the Christian's version of a network marketing scheme? Is that what this is all about? See, the invitation that started this whole movement, as we saw last week, was a simple invitation, just three words. Jesus used these three words, come and see. The first two guys that started following Jesus spent an entire day with Jesus because of Jesus' simple invitation, these three words. Jesus said to these two guys, Andrew, Philip, just come and see. I can't explain the whole thing to you, but I want you to just come and see. See, unlike a lot of network marketing schemes where the idea is to try and get you to buy into something or to sign up for something, these two guys that first started following Jesus and the subsequent guys that followed Jesus and the ladies that started following Jesus, they understood the goal was vastly different than most network marketing schemes. They understood that the goal was not to explain something, but for people to experience someone. They knew that it wasn't about getting people to sign up for something, to enroll in something, or to put their credit card details down to sign up for something that perpetually every month they're going to get charged for. They knew that that wasn't the goal. It wasn't to try and explain some scheme or even something. They knew that the goal was for people to experience someone, for people to experience the same thing they had experienced when they got to spend an entire day with Jesus. Here's how we wrapped up last week. For those of you that maybe weren't able to be here last Sunday, we wrapped it up with this simple idea. Jesus, at the end of the day, needs to be experienced, not just explained. He needs to be experienced, not just explained. So many of you, I'm sure, sitting in the room have had an experience where you've tried to explain to somebody what a relationship with God looks like through his son, Jesus. And at the end of the day, no matter how well you explained it, 
you came to the conclusion that in order for somebody to really understand and know who Jesus is, they've got to experience them, experience him for themselves. It's not something that can be explained. And so last Sunday, we talked a lot about this idea of people just coming and seeing, inviting people to just come and see, even on a Sunday morning for people to just come and check out. What is church like? What is it like to hang out with a bunch of people that follow Jesus? Because ultimately, we are, as a church, the expression of who Jesus is in 2019 for people in this community. We're an expression of who Jesus is, and so we invite them to come and see. But that's not the totality of this network marketing scheme, is just to invite people to come and see. That's not all that it's... It's about. It's about so much more than that. And so today, I want us to spend a little bit more time on this idea of invest. Not just invite, come and see, but to actually invest our lives the way that, as we're going to see today, Jesus invited those first followers to invest their lives. And we have the opportunity to do the same thing. Now, last week, we uh, wrapped up the time together, and the end of the story was that the four guys who had started following Jesus through this simple invitation of come and see, they were about to go on a long journey with Jesus. The journey was going to be about 100 kilometers long. They were leaving down in Judea, and I'll show you on the map where they were hanging out with Jesus. They were down in this area, and they were going to leave and head up to Galilee, and the journey was probably going to take them several days, at least two days, maybe even three days. And so on the way, while they were traveling, Jesus took them by a a town called Cana in Galilee. And they stopped in there because there was a wedding happening. And so at the wedding, Jesus is there and actually his mother came to him and said, hey, they've, they've run out of wine. And so many of you probably know the story of Jesus' very first miracle. And these four guys were a part of this story. Jesus actually turns water into wine. Some of you maybe grew up in churches where they didn't tell you that miracle because they wanted to keep that from you. But you should know that Jesus' very first miracle was actually to turn water into wine, and not just any old wine. It was the best wine. The guy running the wedding actually said, hey, why did you hold out on us? Normally, you bring out the best wine at the start of the wedding. You held out on us. Everyone's half drunk, and now you bring out the good stuff? Jesus' first miracle was in this little town, and these four guys were with him on that journey. After that, they took a little side trip kind of like a, a family vacation to go and meet with some of Jesus' extended family. And they went over to this town up here called Capernaum. And they hung out in Capernaum for a period of time. And then after a little while, they were about to celebrate what's called Passover. In the Jewish tradition, they would celebrate Passover. And so because of that, Jesus decided to head back to Jerusalem to celebrate Passover. So they head back down, all the way down here to Jerusalem. Some of you maybe know the story of when they got to Jerusalem and when they went to the temple to celebrate Passover, the guys at the temple had turned the temple into kind of like a shopping center. And so they were making tons of money off of all the people that were showing up for Passover by selling them all sorts of things in the temple. It so infuriated Jesus. This is the first time these four guys probably saw this side of Jesus. But he turned all the tables over of all the merchants that were in the temple because he was so infuriated at what they had done to the temple, turning it into a shopping center. So these four guys are hanging out with Jesus and they're beginning to understand more and more of who Jesus is and what he's like. And then about that time, Jesus started doing more and more miracles. Lots of the miracles that Jesus was performing had to do with healing people that were 
diseased or they had some sort of illness or sickness. And so because Jesus was performing all these miracles, literally hundreds, in fact, one of the writers of Jesus' life, a guy named Matthew, says that thousands of people from all over this area, this whole map on the screen here, there were thousands of people from all around this area and even beyond this area that were so amazed by the stories they were hearing about Jesus healing people that they decided to come and find out what Jesus was all about. Some of them came because they wanted to be healed as well. And so literally at this point in time, Jesus' followership has gone from just four guys that took a little road trip with him to literally thousands of people all across this region following Jesus. So we're going to pick up the story today when there were crowds and crowds of people following Jesus and showing up to hear him speak and to be healed. And Jesus takes just a small group of his followers, those four, first four guys and a few others, up onto a mountain to get away from the crowds. And Jesus begins to unfold to them what his kingdom is going to look like. Jesus sits down on the side of the mountain and has his First followers sit down and he begins to explain to them, these are the things that I really value. My kingdom looks very different from the kingdom of this world. What I value is very different from what this culture and society values. And Jesus begins to outline on the side of this mountain what's become a famous sermon of Jesus called the Sermon on the Mount. Somebody had a really clever creative team meeting to name that sermon. They're like, well, we're on the side of a mountain. Why don't we just call it the Sermon on the Mount? But it was a famous sermon that Jesus gave. And right after he explains all these values, Jesus begins to outline for these first followers what their purpose is in this world. He's got thousands of followers at this point, but for this small group of people, Jesus outlines for them, here's why you exist in this world. Here is your purpose. And he gives them two analogies, which I think are beautiful analogies. We're going to dive into what Matthew said. It starts off, Jesus says to them, you are the salt of the earth. He says, you are just like salt. And in that time and that culture and in that period of time in our world, salt was one of the most valuable commodities that you could have. In fact, the word salary that we use today actually comes from salt because they would use it to pay Roman soldiers. They would use salt as a, a way of doing commerce. It was so valuable in those days. There was no refrigeration back then, and so salt was this thing that would help to preserve things. All of the food that they needed to preserve and to protect, they would use salt to do that. In fact, they wouldn't get salt like we would from salt shakers. They would go down to the salt marshes that were around the Dead Sea, all the reeds that were around the Dead Sea, and they would get those plants and they would pull them out of the ground and they would actually take the plant and they would rub the plant on their food and the salt from the salt marshes would then be transferred onto the food. And Jesus was saying to them, you are the salt of the earth. Your purpose in life is to help preserve the people around you, is to help protect the people around you. But then Jesus gives these followers a warning. He says this, he says, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? This line that says, when the salt loses its saltiness, actually comes from the original language that Matthew was writing these words in, in Greek. The word is morose. And the word morose actually 
is translated foolishness. It's where we get our English word moron from. And so Jesus is literally saying, if the salt becomes foolish, if the salt becomes a moron, if the salt does something stupid, then the salt loses its credibility. The salt loses its influence. The salt loses its ability to preserve and protect the food that it was purposed to do. And so Jesus says to his followers, be careful how you live. Because if you lose your saltiness, if you do things that are foolish, if you act like a moron in this world, then it's difficult for you to regain your credibility. It's difficult for you to regain your influence. It says you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, it's difficult for the salt to become salty again and to have its influence and its purpose for why it exists. He goes on to say, here's what happens to the salt when it loses its saltiness. It's no longer good for anything. It's useless except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. They would take these reeds after they had rubbed the salt off of the reed onto the food and the reed no longer had the salt on it that provided its usefulness, they would actually lay the reeds down on the ground and it would become the floors in the homes that they lived in. It would become the pathways that they would walk on and the only thing it was useful for at that time was just to be walked on, to be trodden underfoot. Jesus is saying the same thing to his followers. Hey, be careful. Be so careful. If you lose your influence, if you lose your credibility through foolishness, then you'll be useless, you'll be worth nothing, and your purpose will be gone. Maybe you're here today and you'd say, you know what, Jason, this whole thing of church and Christianity, this is all brand new to me. In fact, I'm not even sure if I'm a Jesus follower, but you've experienced somebody in your life who claimed to follow Jesus, but because of a foolish decision that they made in the workplace, or perhaps you've seen it on the news or you've read it in the newspaper because of a foolish decision that they made, they lost their influence, they lost their credibility, and they were no longer useful for preserving and protecting those around them. Such a warning that Jesus is giving his followers. He says, you're the salt of the earth. You're to preserve, you're to protect people around you, but if you're foolish, then you're going to lose your influence. Jesus goes on and says, here's another reason why you're here. This is your other purpose in life. He says, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Some of you reading this verse, you think, wait a second. I, I thought that Jesus was the light of the world. Don't we sing at Christmas time that Jesus is the light of the world? Some of you may be even brand new to church, brand new to the whole church experience thing, and you're like, I thought God, I thought Jesus was the light of the world. Why is it that Jesus is saying that his followers are now the light of the world? Jesus says, you are the light of the world. You may not be the source of light. I'm the source of light, Jesus is saying. God is this true source of light, but you are the light of the world. Much like the moon reflects the light of the sun. Jesus is saying to his followers, I'm the light of the world, but you too are the light of the world. You're to reflect the light that I shine into your life. It's kind of like a mirror that's got a light shining on it. And it reflects that light. And when you point it in a certain direction, it actually can direct people 
to where you want them to look or what you want them to see. If you look over here to the right, you can see the reflection of that light. That's what Jesus is talking about. He says, you are the light of the world. You're not the source of the light, but I want you to be a reflection of my light in your life so that other people can see me and see your heavenly father. You are the light of the world. He says, a town set on a hill, it can't be hidden. Jesus goes on to explain what people do with a light. He says this, in the next verse, he says that you are the light of the world. We'll go ahead and jump to the next one, slide there. Instead, he says, neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. He says, instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. Jesus says to them, you're the light of the world. And just like when you light a light in your home, you don't put a bowl over it. You don't put it underneath something. You actually put the light up high on a stand so that people can see the light and so that the light can provide the ability to see all around the room, all across the home. Jesus is saying, I've strategically placed you in this world so that you can be a light to everyone around you. Some of you have been strategically placed at work. Some of you have been strategically placed at school. Some of you have been strategically placed at university. Some of you have been strategically placed in your neighborhood and you might even say to me, you know what, Jason, you have no idea about my life. How can you say that I've been strategically placed? I didn't even want the job that I'm in right now. I didn't even want to go to the university that I'm in right now. I was trying to get into a different university. Some of you are saying, we didn't want to live in the neighborhood that we're living in. We really wanted to live in a different neighborhood. But here's the reality, is that if you're a follower of Jesus, Jesus has strategically placed you. Even if you didn't want to be there to begin with, Jesus has strategically placed you exactly where he wants you to be so that you can shine a light for him. Jesus has put you up on a stand so that you can provide light to everyone around you. And then Jesus continues. He says, here's how you're to be a light to everyone around you. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may meet, read your long rant about religion on social media and glorify your Father in heaven. You're laughing because you know it's true. So often as Christians, we think that our light is going to shine by what we put on social media or the long rant that we have at the cafe about the thing in the media that we don't like. And somehow we think to ourselves that that's how our light is going to shine. Jesus says, no, no, no. Here's how your light is going to shine. I've strategically placed you so that you can be a light to those around you. And let me explain to you how this is going to work. Jesus actually said, in the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. No amount of explanation is going to be the thing that changes people's minds. It's not how well you word an argument on social media or how good your comeback is to that person that you work with. No amount of lengthy explanation is going to be the thing that changes somebody's mind. See, Jesus knew, like all of us really understand, 
that it's not about convincing people. Jesus understood, and he was trying to tell his followers this simple truth, that a living example is far more effective than a lengthy explanation. Far more effective. Actually living it out. That's why he said that they may see your good deeds. Actually living it out. That's the thing that's going to make a difference in someone's life. Not some lengthy explanation that you give them, but actually living it out. I know there's quite a few people that come here to Creekside that are involved in education. And this uh, tool that educators use is one of my favorites, actually. When I think back to primary school and even middle school and high school, this tool that educators use is the same thing that Jesus was talking about. It was one of my favorite things as a kid growing up when they would say, hey, tomorrow we're going to do this. We're going to have show and tell. And then people would bring all sorts of things into the classroom and you'd get to see things that they had at their house. But one of my favorite things that I used to get to do when I was a kid was we used to go on field trips. Field trips are basically like an excursion of show and tell. Instead of trying to teach a class something from a textbook, you actually take them to the place and they get to learn live there in person. And it's so much more effective. Educators and teachers understand this. This is why so many of them use show and tell and go on excursions. My favorite excursion growing up was every year, the school that I went to in Sydney, they would take a, a road trip to Canberra and we'd get to go to the War Memorial. And I loved going to the War Memorial because it just brought history to life. No longer was it some story you were reading about a soldier in a textbook or some story that you watch on a, a movie, but it actually came to life. In fact, my favorite exhibit at the War Memorial is right up the back in the Anzac Hall. Here's a picture of it. It's, the, it's where the bombers are. And they have a full-on show with video and real voices and they have pictures all over the walls and you actually feel like you're on a flight on this bomber destroying the Germans during World War II or World War I or wherever it is. And you feel like you're actually there. You learn so much more when you actually experience something, when somebody shows it to you and doesn't just tell it to you. And Jesus is essentially saying, hey, your life, it's like show and tell. It's not tell and tell, it's, it's show and tell. Yes, I want you to tell people and I want you to invite people to come and see what it's like to experience Jesus, but ultimately this idea of invest and invite is showing and telling people how much Jesus loves them. Jesus explaining the purpose to these few disciples on the side of a mountain put it pretty simply. He said, your purpose in life is to be salt and light. Ultimately, your purpose is to protect and direct. That's what your purpose is. Like salt preserves and protects, that's the way your life should be for those around you. Just like light, although you're not the source of it, you reflect it and you're able to direct people and point them to their heavenly father that they might see through your good deeds, your heavenly father and glorify him. Here's why this is such a big deal. If you're a follower of Jesus, please don't miss this. Please don't miss this. This is why this is so important. This is why it's such a big deal to Jesus, and it's why it's such a big deal to us here at Creekside. At the end of the day, there may be a lot of people in our community that never decide to come and see. 
And so as followers of Jesus, you may be the only Jesus they may see. They may never end up here on a Sunday morning. They may never end up at your house for dinner with somebody else that follows Jesus, but they may watch the way that you interact with your children. They may watch the way that you interact with them. And at the end of the day, you may be the only Jesus that they see. And here's what I know to be true. And I'm sure you've seen this in your life play out as well. If somebody doesn't like what they see in you, they may never come and see with you. If they don't like what they see in you, and you invite them to come and see, it's probable that they never will come and see with you if they don't like what they see in you. So let me ask us a couple of questions this morning. For those of you that are followers of Jesus, these questions I think will be super practical for you this week. If you're not a follower of Jesus, you're just checking out church, quite frankly, you're probably sitting here this morning thinking to yourself, I wish more Christians would do what Jesus said. <laughs> I've been around so many Christians that don't do what Jesus said. You're probably sitting there as we're all squirming in our seats this morning, feeling like, yeah, I may be the only Jesus that someone sees. You're off the hook. But for those of us that are Jesus followers, let me ask us a couple of questions this morning as we wrap up. Question number one. When and where are you most likely to act like a moron? <laughs> I know it's kind of humorous, but think about it for a moment. Jesus said this, hey, when the salt loses its saltiness, when the salt becomes foolish, when the salt becomes a moron, it loses its credibility. And all of us in the room, follower of Jesus and not a follower of Jesus, we've all got a place, we've all got a time, when we're most likely to do something foolish. Some of us, maybe it's on that work trip. You're out with the guys after work. Man, it's tempting to do something foolish. Some of you go to university, hanging out, maybe on a Friday night or a Saturday night. They know that you follow Jesus, but all of a sudden, you're in, you're in this moment where if you do something foolish, you could lose all your credibility with those people that you've built relationships with. I don't know where it is for you. I know where it is for me, but I don't know where it is for you or when it is, but I think it's something we should all consider. When and where am I most likely to act like a moron, to lose my credibility? And then the second question is this, when and where can you best reflect the light of Jesus. Just like the mirror reflects the light and it directs people, your life has the ability to do the same thing, to reflect the light of Jesus and to direct people to their heavenly father. When and where is the best opportunity for you to be a reflection of Jesus' light in your life so that you can point people to their heavenly father? Where are you most likely to lose your credibility? When and where are you most capable of pointing people to Jesus. Here's what I've discovered in my life when it comes to this idea of invest and invite. Your invite works best when you start with invest. Not when you start with, hey, come and see. But when you spend hours, even days, even months investing your life into other people's lives, your invite for them to come and see to experience Jesus, your invite works best when you start with invest, not when you get it the other way around. See, a living example is far better 
than some lengthy explanation. And it takes time for people to see that living example in you. So let me encourage all of us that are followers of Jesus today to spend this week and the weeks ahead investing in the lives of the people that God puts around us. Because at the end of the day, our best invite, our invite works best when we start with invest. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you that you have preserved for us over thousands of years now, this story that Jesus told on the side of a mountain to those very first followers so that today in 2019, we could understand what our purpose is as followers of you to be salt and light in this world. God, would you help us to understand how important this is that we preserve and protect people around us by being the salt in the life, in their life that they need. God, I pray that you would help us to find those times this week even to be able to be a reflection of your love to other people that they might see our good deeds and glorify their heavenly father. God, would you help us to understand that this invite works best when we start with invest. I pray this in Jesus' precious name, amen.